great. So we're going to do one of these each month, which is just a kind of monthly roundup where we talk about what's going on in our world, how riding unicorns has been the last month, pick out a couple of things that are exciting us and hopefully give people a quick insight into what's going on in the world of VC and startup within the UK. Yeah, brilliant. Now I'm looking forward to it. I think um, it would be good for good for our listeners perhaps to understand a bit more about their, their hosts what interests us and why we're doing this (laughs) so why don't we start by just sort of we were just talking before we started about the seed stage you had your last event in april yeah the next one's coming up not too far away it sort of seems to be creeping up on us so you started to think about the planning for that and how you want to take it to the next level yeah i'll try and give a succinct uh, description of seed stage as possible but basically i mean if you want to have a look at it if you're a listener who's interested if you're a founder or an investor and you want to pitch in front of all the right vcs and investors or you want to see loads of angel prospects investment prospects you should head over to the seedstage.co.uk and take a look but basically the seed stage is a demo day without an accelerator so it's a pitching event where loads of companies so we usually have about a thousand startups from UK apply to pitch really all of the pre-seed and seed funds in the UK and also a ton of later stage funds who are looking to eat the earlier stage funds pie by coming earlier and so all of the sort of usual names you'd expect to be there all the big funds well-known ones and and also a ton of angel investors so it's really the, the best way for early stage founders in the UK to get in front of all of the prospective investors in their company And every six months we have a demo day and it's important, I think, to kind of keep on innovating and to keep on trying to add new value to the founders and also to the audience. Um, And so pretty much how it happens is about a thousand companies will apply, say, hopefully that number will go up. And then we, the funds, there are about 60 core funds behind the event. um, And we filter those applications down to about 20 who end up pitching and anyway yeah i'm I'm really excited so the next change the next big um, innovation hopefully is going to be allowing the audience to invest so one of the things i'm super passionate about and, and, and know you're pretty passionate about as well james um is uh getting people who can't normally angel invest um so typically young people people who haven't already made their money and who can't stump up kind of 25k to invest in a um, early stage company themselves I really want to get all of these people investing in early stage companies and top tier ones which crowdcube seeders exist but they they don't typically um, get access to the, the very best deals it's often they're sort of you know companies sometimes you can't raise through other means or they're just you know the hottest deals often get snapped up really quickly and we are getting access to those so what we're going to do is launch SPVs for the companies who, so that's a special purpose vehicle. It's a, it's a vehicle which, allow, which will allow the audience, so we had about a thousand audience members last time, to invest in the companies who are pitching at the seed stage, which I just think is going to be amazing um, because you're suddenly going to have anyone, um, anyone who wants to sign up to the event will be able to invest in like the most exciting early stage businesses. I don't know what you think of that, James, but um, yeah, getting people investing is one of my core sort of visions. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I mean, the last event was incredible. There were some really awesome companies in there. And 
obviously as I run an angel network, Pringle Capital, one of my goals is trying to organize angel investors into a place which is quite easy for founders to access them. Um, but equally, it's really important that we engage with um, you know, younger investors who are starting out on their angel investment journey. Mm-hmm. And by having a selective entry model with the kind of demo day without the accelerator, with companies that are selected by real VCs with first-hand experience of capital management and investing and portfolio management, um, I think that's really exciting. And hopefully it means that the seed stage starts to transcend beyond just our VC network as well, where yeah. more people come and view it as a as a real opportunity to find out what's going on right at the early stage of, of the UK tech scene, which is awesome. Definitely. No. And then uh, episode one, you guys, it's just busy, busy. Yeah, everything's everything's going well. Actually, yeah, I mean, the, the main thing that's going on at the moment is I, I give our portfolio a lot of help raising their um, next round of investment. So fortunately, we have two or three companies at the moment who are all just crushing it and they're going out to, to raise their next round. Most It's kind of, so the two that I'm working on closely are raising like 10 million plus. And it's fun when you have great companies um, who are doing really well. It's just, it kind of makes our job easy, right? You know, you kind of just ping a very short um, salesy blurb to all of your VC contacts and say, this is, these are the key points. Um, And it's pretty easy to get them to respond saying, yeah, please, please put us in touch. Um, So I'm basically going through that at the moment. It's super fun being, being close to the action and, and seeing how it's all going. Yeah, that's cool. I've, I'm just having my first experience of that really. Um, you know, nice. not being in VC that long, just about a year. And one of our companies is kind of a breakout from the first portfolio, which is now trying to do a 12 million raise for Series A in the fintech space. And their revenues have just jumped from in the last three months, like in the sort of 50K a month to over 140K in June. So they're just like, they're, they're just showing themselves that like breakout company in the portfolio yeah. so far. And it's really exciting. And yeah, it's a kind of a, a different kind of intro at that level. Yeah. It's like, here's how quickly they're growing. Have they had a sort of inflection point where something has changed? Have they, have they worked something out? Or is it just like the market's latching on? Yeah, it, they, they have worked something out. So they are a, a kind of credit card business that has some buy now, pay later functionality, but that's really not their core piece. It's about yeah. rebuilding kind of credit from the ground up. And they have a very, you know, like any credit business, they have an approval process to give you a credit card. And what they've done is they've built a credit booster product. So that takes people who would usually be in the sort of unlendable category, but have certain characteristics going for them. And they they create like a gateway entry product yeah. and that has then fed into the main credit product. So they've kind of created a, like a new acquisition channel, which means they're not turning away 92% of people they're turning away more like 70% of people. And that has had a huge impact on their customer acquisition costs, retention, revenue, et cetera. So that's, that's so good. Yeah. So that's really it sounds exciting. like sounds sounds like the um the next credit crunch in the making, which is great to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In terms of loads of subprime lending. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's actually there's some data of that PwC put out that there are 12 million people in the UK, just in the UK, that fall below typical traditional credit score thresholds for credit but who are perfectly good to lend to yeah so that's like that's core to the whole thesis is that there is a model here and with 
better banking data, better general data. There are ways where you can start to credit score these people without going through the traditional kind of experience or whatever. And then, yeah. um, and then prove that to yourself that they are credit worthy by giving them this builder product towards the, the full credit product. So it's, yeah. a, like that's, it's a smart way of doing it. And the, t- the, to us, the team understand credit a billion yeah. times fold how I do, but um, you know, we invested in them and they seem to have yeah. cracked it. No, it's super cool. I, I think actually it does speak to a kind of wider topic, which is people have talked about kind of data being the new oil for ages and it's a pretty cringy phrase. And I think it's, it's, everyone's known it was going to be the case, but it's kind of been a, a question of timing. I do feel like in finance and in particularly in credit and lending, um, we are reaching a point where that data is becoming really, really useful and we have the tools to use that and, and leverage that data. I mean, it sounds that particular part of the business sounds quite a bit like Credit Kudos, which, uh, who, who do a similar thing, they use like, non-typical data sources to assess um credit worthiness and I, ju- I just love what they're doing i just think it's brilliant brilliant that those data sort of the new data sources are available to basically make it a much more accurate efficient system um, but I don't, I don't know whether in because so the top to leave lead us on to the insurance topic what it makes me think of is like peer-to-peer insurance where you there's a company called so sure which is really cool they basically pool together people so you i could invite you and my mate um joe blogs to um to an insurance pool because i think that you're really careful and i think that joe blogs is really careful so together i think that we'll hardly have any claims and so what social does is you pay like pretty market standard monthly cost but then if you don't have any claims over the year, they would like refund you a certain amount. And so it's like pooling together all these people who you think are safe. And so your insurance bill should come down a lot. And you could do that for your house, your car, whatever else. But I think it does start to get interesting where like, who do you then start discriminating against? Because at the moment, in a way, the really careful people or like in credit, the the wealthier, more credit worthy people are subsidizing the the less credit worthy people in, in certain cases and, and the insurance example, the more careful people are kind of subsidizing the less careful people. Yeah. But suddenly if it's like really true risk analysis, then like the people who really are risky are going to be massively penalized. And I do think that's a slight worry. It is a worry. I think in the credit space, you know, people like Freddie at Credit Credos and what he's doing, you know, I think I'm excited where that's the norm where, De- true data and not just tick boxes on a de- demographic form or whatever determine what your your credit score or credit capability is i think that is really exciting as you say when it becomes super accurate and it starts to become black and white and there is no longer a gray area then that filter you know you can sort of see that venn diagram sort of cutting yeah. people in half rather than like overlapping and there being some of those people that could get in um so yeah, I guess that's the risk. And then we have to look at yeah. other new financial inclusion products as a result. And hopefully there's something else that helps people. Yeah, just, just also actually, so, so to counter my own point, and th- there is a, a side to it where the like granularity of that data that's being collected 
does mean that these, you know, credit checkers, a new era of credit checkers could give very targeted advice to people who are not credit worthy, saying this is the specific area you need to improve. And this is specifically how you could get this specific loan. And so like having that kind of explainable AI perhaps would be really, could actually be really valuable. If it was like last year, you missed two of your utility bill payments by 30 days and that's hurt your score, you know, knowing what they're looking at to lower your score and then maybe providing a utility switching service that links in automatically by direct debit or something to help them come on that journey. I think yeah. hopefully that's where we can go to with FinTech where it is quite inclusive. It's not just for the super rich where it does start to yeah. become you know, smart and intelligent and driven by just genuinely trying to help the consumer and not just how can we upsell them so that our ARPU outperforms our biggest competitor, which is kind of what's going on at the moment where it's kind yeah. of like, how many insurance products can we sell someone? <laughs> because yeah. our ARPU needs yeah, to yeah. And like, that's, that's the sort of inflection that hopefully we'll go through. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, yeah, it's super exciting. I, I wanted to talk about something else, which was... Um, whilst we're sort of in the fintech space, there was an article in Sifted this week, which I thought was really cool, which was about the, the most powerful people at Revolut. I thought it was really interesting. Well, one, first out, shout out to Sifted because it's an amazing source of knowledge for anyone that wants to know more about what's going on in, in tech. Um, We've got but, Amy Lewin coming on the show soon. So. Really, really <laughs> um, but often you hear just about the founders. So like, Nick is the founder of Revolut or the CEO founder and he's kind of the picture boy and actually I'm even looking at his face as that he's the face of the article so it's still the picture boy um but I think what was cool is they showed this like tiered management system and all the different roles and how these people were important and I thought it was just interesting for founders to get a view of like what does a tech unicorn like that what are some of these key roles and then because they name them, you can actually go and look at what they did previously, previous companies they've worked at. And it kind of sent me into like a, a spiral of just like soaking up, trying to a bit more knowledge about management teams and leadership and what, what skill sets these teams require. So I just thought that was interesting. And it was just, just sort of a yeah. go and tell on that article. Yeah, definitely. Like from an early stage. So it, it, there's quite an interesting thing, which is obvious, but it's sort of makes sense when it's put well and I probably won't put it well but basically what it is is that you're like as an early stage company your third hire is just so much more important than your hundredth hire so like hiring a hiring an amazing third person is going to make like 10x the difference of hiring that same person as the hundredth employee um, and I just think like if you look if you look around most of the really high performing great companies at the moment I think most of the founders of those companies would attribute their success to the people that they've hired and the people who, who those people have hired underneath them. Um, and like speaking to companies in the episode one portfolio, we, we spoke to James Hine the other day and uh, every question we asked him, the answer was like, hiring, hiring is the most important thing. Hiring is the thing we screwed up the most, which made the most, you know, the biggest mistake we've made. Thing. It's the big thing we've got the right the most as well. Like it's it's everything. Yeah, definitely. And and um, and yeah, it's the thing that excites people. Like I was sat um, opposite Matt, who's the founder of Omnipresent, which is just absolutely crushing it at the moment. Yeah. And um, and he would he you know the thing that 
you can tell people start to get very passionate about is is the people and it's obvious because they are just they're multiplying the amount that you can get done and they are and the delight in all of these founders around me's voices talking about the like yeah the delight of someone else in their team being able to do stuff just way better than they could ever do it and it's yeah it's just um having more of yourself in your company and people who are better than you is just super important yeah 100 percent. and I, they actually interestingly so you've got nick ceo underneath you've got cfo cto cro chief banking officer coo but then on the next tier you've got vp of people so that pretty much goes into what we're saying like they are so yeah. important to this company because yeah. they determine the other you know x number of people underneath uh yeah. general counsel so legally make sure you're pretty tight then they've got a head of cryptocurrency and i just thought mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting for a company that you know, started out with kind of fx and is some kind of being named the the fintech super app or the wannabe fintech super app the fact that they're so heavy into that as a you know comes in the third tier head of cryptocurrency and then svp of revenue and operations which obviously is pretty important there's a lot of criticism about some of the neobanks in terms of their startup costs and the amount of money they've burned and where they're at with their revenues but um you know i think revolut is on the right course to profitability or has it yeah at least one quarter last year where it's profitable and stuff like that so so I thought yeah. it was really interesting. And then there's a whole nother layer, but I'm not going to go into them now. Yeah, no, definitely. At this same dinner, when I was sat with a few of the episode one um, portfolio founders, we were talking about like specific roles. And so head of sales and like CRO, chief revenue officer, those kinds of roles recently have got so expensive. Like to find a great, a truly great salesperson or head of sales, but even salespeople, it's just so expensive now because like they are the people who are going to have the highest return on investment or, or yeah, who have a massive, who have a massive impact on the top line. And so like, they're the people who companies going to pay an absolute ton for the, for the best. I also think that because we're, we're in an age where, you know, a top senior software developer is 800 to 1,200 pounds a day at the moment in London, we are starting to see more companies with kind of an office abroad or something like that, where mm-hmm. there's a tech center offshore or in whatever they want, you want to call it um, in, in Europe. And, and you can sort of get away with that because the, the cost saving makes sense. You, you can't have your head of sales sort of not here or not sitting next to your CRO or your CEO or whoever, you know, they've got, they are in the, you know in the fire pit every day you can't yeah. you can't outsource that and cut the cost in half really so no for yeah, sure you have a lead gen team in, in southeast asia or whatever but you can't replace that head of sales so yeah. and i think the same is true of like heads of growth are so difficult to find yeah. a good one yeah it's the gets the marketing and the creative side but also gets the the product and the data side and um, yeah the referral piece and all the um I'm really trying hard not to say hacks, but, you know, growth hacks, um, who understands all of that kind of, because it's actually a really complex role. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's really true. And what, what will be interesting to see in the future is, again, as we find ways to 
leverage the data that we're collecting better and have better AI and better insights from that data. I think what will be interesting to see is so sales people are incredibly easy to determine their return on investment, right? Because you pay 200 grand a year in sales commission and, and, um, and base salary to your salesperson who gets a million quid of sales, like, you know, great return on investment. Um, I think the people in an organization who at the moment, it's really, really hard to get a read on their return on investment is like a chief, chief people officer or, um, Actually, that's probably one of the hardest, but instinctively that could easily be one of the most important. And I think as there is more data around this and as, as you start to be able to determine like causality in, in like a company's results and how the people that you hire impacts your bottom line and how the culture that you, that you nurture in a company affects your bottom line. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see chief people officers becoming like incredibly expensive for the best ones because they can like raise the they can raise the whole tide on, on which all of the boats sit i'm talking about boats being the employees with that nasty little uh, metaphor <laughs> yeah i mean i think with with that role you probably get, got someone from a recruiting background and like people like founders and investors are not huge fans of the recruitment industry in general um but that's partly because some of the incentives are not aligned and so you it's a bit complicated with true scale-ups true like vc-backed businesses it makes sense to bring that in-house and these people are still good people but now their incentives are much more aligned to the organization and you can probably map out an roi based on how many hires you're going to make that year like if we're making 100 hires and each of them would have had a 12.5 percent year one salary cost base against them you can work out that you've actually probably got quite a lot of money for a recruitment team in-house so whereas if you're only making five hires that year you probably can't even justify you know 50 grand a year on your yeah. head of people so i think you can start to but it's not as simple as that because they do a lot more than that and they're starting to be in really important in terms of like onboarding and values and you know with remote it's becoming even more important because you've got to make sure that these people feel like they're part of the team very early on, even though they might not have, you know, been with the team or gone for a drink with coffee or whatever with anyone. So it is becoming a really important role. Um, I think you can start to create a bit of an ROI, but it doesn't cover everything. Yeah, definitely. It strikes me that we should, we should push for some audience engagement. And so I wonder if, um, I'm pretty sure we have a Twitter account, don't we? We do. We have a Riding Unicorns Twitter account. So I, I think we should get people, if they have comments on what we're saying, I think people should tweet us and ask questions or um, throw, in, throw in comments to the ring. Well, definitely. We're going to do one of these like monthly roundups every month, naturally. Um, so no. <laughs> so like, yeah, we want to hear from people. We want, you know, if there's a topic you want us to discuss or a company or whatever, you know, make sure you reply to the to the tweet from this episode and we'll be happy to pick it up and add it to the agenda next time for sure. So uh, let's talk about the last month of Riding Unicorns. We've done, we did five episodes in June, which was pretty good. Um, and we had some amazing guests. So um, was there any like particular highlight or anything you wish we had asked that we didn't get to ask that you think is worth discussing? 
Um, what was your sort of take on riding unicorns June 2021? Yeah, I was pleased with that. I think we've had some great guests. Um, and two that I really enjoyed were, so, so Jean Name, um, I, I think he, he, he's got some great insight. So he's in the digital, um, digital health space, sold a business for, for over 300 million. And, and now has has raised uh, almost a billion dollars back. So I was really excited for the episode. I had high hopes. And uh, Jean's like straight to the point um, by nature and doesn't, you know, so when we, when we started that conversation, it's like we asked him the usual question of kind of what's his background. And sometimes we get kind of 15 minutes of, of really interesting background from our guests. With Jean, that was like, you know, three bullet points and then it was um, down to us to think of the next question. And so I, I was worried we were going to run out of content. Um, but you can definitely tell when when people are super smart. And, and I thought he, he was really impressive and had some great insight into being a founder, having a successful startup. Some of the problems that um, founders have when they're inexperienced, you know, like he's a clearly a very smart guy, but just didn't know how to raise money to start with and, and quickly learned. And so it's interesting hearing about all of that. And then, and naturally it's cool hearing from someone who's now got a billion dollar SPAC given all the hype they've had in the media. Yeah, that episode, uh, as we're recording this, it's, it's coming out soon, but it will be out by the time this goes out. But yeah, he's a super smart guy. And as you say, he sort of, he didn't sugarcoat things. He just sort of said it very directly, what it was like in that moment. Yeah, it was also, I was worried it wasn't going to work out well because I was sat under the stairs in a in a hostel co-working space in Lisbon um, <laughs> with lots of um, sounds sounds going on around us. And he was driving around in his Tesla and you could hear the whine of that. But I think it came out fine. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. Um, but yeah, it, it, was, it was great to talk to someone with that experience. I do think, the, you know, the founder stories are always pretty interesting but I also really enjoyed Lawrence at, at Tide just thought it was interesting to see you know he's clearly very intelligent and I think I think his sort of management style kind of came through which I thought was quite cool um mm-hmm. but he's had an amazing career as just sort of a normal guy that's gone through and made some good decisions and worked his way up and worked hard and and then you know ended up being right in there at the beginning with Revolut and then moving over to Tide and then talking about the decision-making process of expanding to India um, and what that's going to be like for a company like them. I just, it was just great to hear that kind of journey where you can't always connect the dots looking backwards, but it all makes sense now where he is. And I, I just really enjoyed speaking to him. Yeah, definitely. And to be honest, I mean, I, I, I've loved all of our guests and, and James Hind, I thought was, was awesome. And Carwell, I think have such an exciting journey ahead of them, given Kazoo's six billion dollar SPAC and Motorway raising forty-eight million pounds from Index and a few others. Carwow like have just bought a company called Whizzle, who who do what Motorway do. So I think Motorway are probably um, pretty pretty worried to put it lightly. But it's going to be a really exciting next few months, next few years for Carwow and and Juliette um, Suleiman. Yeah. Um, from from um, MMC, which I, I just think she's so much fun and really insightful and just a great laugh, high energy. But to be honest, we've had good um, good comments about all the episodes. Everyone, you know, they're all very unique and different and different sectors and 
stages and investors and operators. So it's been a been a good month. And um, I, I was looking at the stats, and I think it was a a record month. Um, partly helped by having five episodes out, but um, we had lots of listeners. So thanks very much, everyone who's downloaded an episode or two and, and listened. And um, there's plenty more to come, as Hector's just referenced with uh, James at Carwow and. We've got a few others um, already booked in and we've got Amy Lewin from Sifted later in, in August. So that's going to be great. It'll be really good. At some stage, it'd be cool perhaps just talk about like why we're doing the podcast. Yeah. Well, I think the reason we're doing Riding Unicorns is to uh, give people an insight into what it takes to be a founder, what it takes to be a VC, what goes wrong, what goes right. And with these monthly episodes we're hopefully going to bring in a bit of like current news as well so it's like an easy way for someone to keep their finger on the pulse with what's going on but I think it will be quite fluid you know we want we just want to be a useful resource and hopefully some fun and interesting content for people that like the sector or want to get into this sector or have spent 40 years in this sector and just you know whatever I think it's definitely quite a broad audience yeah and it's kind of interesting seeing how the podcast progresses because I, I definitely think that as we've had more and more guests and um, lo- loads of really interesting and amazingly successful people that we can reference, definitely found it easier to get more guests on. And and I love that we're building something that feeds itself and that allows us as it goes on to get better and better guests on and more and more famous guests on. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm super excited for what's to come. I think it's only been very recently we've actually had guests reply and say, "Oh yeah, I listen." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that obviously didn't happen in season one, or you know, when we were recording the first episode before anything had even been put out. You know, invited Sir Martin Sorrow on, and luckily he said yes. But you know, most of the time it's been trying to persuade people to give up an hour of their Friday to do an episode. Whereas now, it's really really nice and reassuring to hear that people have listened to an episode or two and, and are open to Definitely. it. It's great. So I thought we should also just touch on, um, is there any like startups that you've like come across your desk in the last couple of days that you're just like really excited about, even if they're not a good fit for you investing directly? So yeah, what, one that I'm really excited about is actually get it and the whole 15 minute delivery space. Um, because not not so much from an investment perspective, because I'm sure a lot of investors are going to lose a lot of money, um, and I'm sure some will make a lot. Um, but take Getir, take take one of the other leaders. I think what that opens up is is just super exciting. So it's good being able to get your groceries within 15 minutes. Obviously, that's nice. I'm sure Ricardo a bit worried. Maybe they'll launch their own version or something. But I think the idea of having an API driven supermarket could be really exciting because I think you get this whole world of companies that might sprout up off the back of that. So Feasty, which is one of my angel investments who are basically a social media platform for cooking. Um, the idea that they might be able to, um, you know, plug into actual supermarkets and allow uh, their members, their subscribers, their whatever you call them um, to bookmark recipes and find recipes from their favorite influencer chefs that they like and then actually order that food instantly and get it delivered within 15 minutes for me that's like cooking 2.0 so i'm really excited about that 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look, I think one of the limitations of cooking books is that you never have everything that you need for a recipe. And even with some of these cooking books where it's like only 10 ingredients or whatever, you still might be missing a key ingredient. And so if you've got a, a digital cooking book, which is, I know it's much more than that. It's much more kind of TikTok style, like social media for cooking, which is awesome. Um, but 15 minutes is nothing. So if you can actually order all your ingredients or the ingredients that you're missing and literally, you know, by the time you boil the kettle to everything else has arrived, like that's incredible. It changes the whole experience. So I, I can yeah. completely see that. And that, that is exciting. Um, yeah. I wonder what it means for meal, bo- meal boxes, like Gusto and HelloFresh. And yeah. Everything. Like what, what's the point I think of if that becomes I think it's yeah, I think it's probably a I think it's probably a, a worry for them um, because you will get more flexibility from using these other other options, I should think. But yeah, so I, I'm super excited about that. I think it's nuts how you know Getir have raised on like a seven and a half billion valuation. Uh, it may not be nuts if I knew what the numbers are behind the scenes, but the the speed of their success has just been absolutely phenomenal. But there's also is it Deja and Gorillas and it's probably more- Wheezy. Wheezy, like there's there's more uh, as well. So, um, zap. <laughs> loads. Yeah. I wonder if it's winner takes all, whether it's winner takes most, or whether we can end up with three. Don't know. Yeah, I, I suspect it'll be similar-ish to micro mobility. Um, you know, Mike, the sort of electric scooters. I think there'll be a few players who who make investors money, and I think there'll be some who kind of get acquired for maybe a loss to some investors. Some yeah. will go bust, um, but yeah, it's an arms race, isn't it? And and the the thing with like VC on the whole is when a company like Get It or when a market leader emerges, they're the one who attracts all the capital, and that makes it much harder for the others to raise capital because investors start getting fearful. Yeah, yeah, you're in, with one of those. It's sort of like you almost want to be late and big. You want to be soft bank in this situation, not. Angel investor 50k. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no so agree. agree. To know whether you're you're in the right one or not. So true. So well, one other last thing, you know, we're just talking about startups. So um, one thing that's happened at my end this month is um, my fiance Harriet's company Narchi's raised a pre-seed round, which is really exciting, um, and we've got some top investors, including some of the partners at E1, which is great. Um, and yeah, it's called Narchi and it's a Depop style social selling marketplace for homeware. And that's been quite a you know important part of my last month is like helping Harriet with the, the fundraise there. And it's kind of tied in nicely with Pringle Capital and stuff. So um, that's been keeping me busy. But we've we've had a few different companies on startup spotlights. So we had Claimer, which is really cool, which is R&D tax credit claiming platform, but has the ability to kind of scale beyond into anything kind of grants or government, you know, subsidy based kind of solution, which I think is really cool. We had house bots, which is the wall climbing robot, which is pretty nuts. Um, bit left field hardware, probably not our usual bag for, for either of us, but um, you know, interesting business, amazing robotics team and um, starting to pick up some really interesting contracts that you sort of almost wouldn't, believe you know they needed a robot for some of these things but actually when you look into it it kind of makes sense so 
um, yeah, we've had some interesting companies as part of that new feature, which was something we only brought in for season two, but I'm already like quite enjoying like, putting a spotlight on a company each week. Definitely. If there are comments that you guys have as listeners, tweet us or, or message us on LinkedIn or whatever, whatever you like to use. And, and also do subscribe because that helps us. And, and if you have friends, colleagues, people who might enjoy this show, then do do mention us to them because it, it, it all just helps our cause. Yeah, 100%. We're definitely open to a lot more engagement. We're both pretty accessible as VC. So, you know, we want to hear from people and ask questions that you're interested in. So um, please do get in touch. And as Hector said, you know, subscribing goes a long way because it just means that you don't necessarily have to be on LinkedIn or Twitter that day to see the episode. It will just give you a quick notification. And with people returning to their offices, it, you might be on your commute because we put the episode out quite early on a Wednesday morning. So hopefully you can listen while you're on the train or the bus or whatever. Yeah. And also if you, if you know any people, amazing founders who are starting businesses, then put them in touch with us and we'll be happy to happy to talk to them and um, give them our help if we can or invest in, in them if they're, if they're right for us. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. Cheers, James. Cheers, Hector.